Someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Connor Keys, alongside me as always, Ronan, the main debaser, Mullen. Debased. Debased as always. Debased. <laughs> You're very <laughs> welcome back. Yes, we are here today with Do Little by Pixies. Yeah. Uh, not the Pixies. No. Don't the, do that. That's the weird part because even their their best of album or their compilation album was called Death to the Pixies. <laughs> so even they have t-shirts that have the Pixies on them, but they insist to not call them call the Pixies. Pixies. It's just Pixies. Uh, yeah, same as Arctic Monkeys. They're not the Arctic Monkeys. Yes, exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, so yes, Doolittle uh, released in 1989. Uh, the second album, I do believe. Second album. There was an EP first, which sort of, if you ever bought Surfer Rose and CD, Come On Pilgrim was with it. Right, okay. So right. I always thought it was all one album mm. for years, but... That's oh, before okay. Google Kids. Yes. Yeah, so yes, this is the second album, the difficult second album. Um, which difficult turns out to be <laughs> of the very, very successful and highly influential yes. difficult second album. Uh, from a band that at the time were known as genre-defying. Mm. You couldn't really put them in the, just like Baby and Dirty Dancing, you can't really put them into a corner. There's no... No, um, and it's very strange because so many people were baffled by how they weren't as big as they should be. Mm. Uh, but, but I mean, the Pixies post this album and music in general post this album changed because of this album. Yeah, and there's, uh, I suppose that's the last and legacy we want to talk about uh, of Pixies is that the bands that came afterwards, you know, the bands that followed, um, yeah. they just, they, they, they didn't get the recognition for this album until many years later when the likes of bigger bands then started yeah. saying, oh, they were our influence. Definitely. Uh, and to the point that maybe, I think somebody said it wasn't until 95 or 96 where it was then deemed as one of the best records of the 80s. Well, we'll talk about people who are huge fans of theirs in a bit, but there was a lot of interviews given where people who were considered the top of the game just went, no, we're, it's the Pixies that we listen to. Like, Yeah. And the so give us the, the give us the lineup then. So uh, we have the lead singer. We have, <laughs> which I don't know if the lead singer will be allowed to call himself. What we he's have called himself today. <laughs> we have Charles Thompson the fourth, Black Francis, and Frank Black. That's all one person. Yeah. <laughs> Current iteration in nineteen eighty nine is Black Francis. Yes, uh, which singer. again I don't believe will be allowed to happen today. Probably not. No, wasn't it? Frank Black and the Catholics, or was it Black Francis and the Catholics he called one of his bands? I That's can't right, remember, yeah. but there was fucking... Anyway, he's the main songwriter, mm-hmm. contentiously. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, guitar player, lead singer. Joe Santiago, guitar player. Yeah. Kim Deal, bass player and vocals. 
and Dave Lovering on the drums. Yeah. So and he also I, did vocals as well, Dave Lovering. Santiago and Deal. I mean, Deal is the real deal. Deal I mean, is the real deal. Like, yeah. Uh, the the Something pretty much the reason yeah. the Pixies are as good as they are is this woman. Even though she was not allowed to write a lot of songs and. As Kirk will be infamously said, can you imagine how good the Pixies would have been if Kim Deal was allowed to write a few? <laughs> so give us a bit of the background on that. I mean, the, 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 is, is this a sort of misogynistic end of, of Pixies? Um, well, some say yes, but when you listen to every song on this album, you go, fuck, it'd be wild hard to squeeze a banger into the middle of that that would fit. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, most of the Breeders songs that Kim Deal wrote, she was writing during this, so it mm-hmm. could have been a Pixie song easily. Yeah, so, you can definitely hear it in the game. Oh, I absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But the the main bone of contention that split them up in 92 slash 93 was that Kim Deal and Frank Black, or Black Francis or, were basically at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because of recording this where every time she put a notion forward, he would be like, yeah, but I got this song. Mm-hmm. But then if you ever li- listen to interviews with the producer, Gil Norton, he says B- Black Francis would basically write a one-minute song Every one of these songs was once one minute. Right, okay, yeah. Because he would get bored mm. and he would hit to have to repeat choruses or repeat the verse sort of melody or he wants something different every time. Mm-hmm. So he would stop after basically a minute. So Gil Norton would have to drag a song out of him. Right, yeah. So with that in mind, you're basically writing on the fly and then they had to have them all per- perfect and they did a two-week stint in the studio where they recorded them all in one go. Right, okay. In fact, yeah. there's some songs where they said that they wanted the live feel, so like Black Francis would be in a cupboard singing right. with the guitar like sitting straight up past his head because it was that small and you didn't want the bleed of the rest of the band. Yeah. But what happens then is they go on tour after this. This starts to pick up, like you said. There's a few songs that hit the charts mm-hmm. internationally and in the US. Well, especially from this album, and we'll come to them. Uh, you know, time yeah, on, but, but yeah. what happens is they go on tour and the tour they call is the fuck or fight tour <laughs> or fight or fuck tour, one or the other. But it ended up that there was a lot of fighting. Yes, okay. <laughs> so uh, the rest of the guys just went along with it, but Kim Dale just couldn't do that anymore. Like, okay. Which is understandable because she's a great songwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, it's back to that question of what would it have sounded like? What would this album, yeah. you know, and where would you have fitted, fitted them in? But uh, so, but again, it's like I said to start, there was no real genre for them. There was psychedelic guitars. There was sort of... It was like surf rock at times. Yeah, and it was, was like, like surf guitar playing by Santiago at times, wasn't it? It was like a weird... Like, it just was, yeah. It was, and I, and I, I suppose it sort of summed up the end, the tail end of the 80s. Hmm. Where everybody's sort of experimenting and nobody really knows. I where you sort going. of that the replacements in Husker Do and bands like that and they're sort of it's real. They call it like college rock, but this was too like they describe themselves infamously as songwriting that goes loud, quiet, loud. Yeah, that's always been their way. So yeah, that that's what every band after them decided they wanted to do. Yes, absolutely. Like and I mean, everyone right up to Radiohead, Radiohead, Weezer, Nirvana, yeah. the whole f- even Arctic Monkeys now, fucking Arcade Fire, they all do the and same they've pattern. They've all said the same thing. They've yeah. all said it's a Pixies, loud, soft, loud, soft. Yep. Yeah, and so yeah, there's loads of examples of that on this album. Oh, yes. And, uh, I mean, the, the level, well, the production level, you mentioned them already. I mean, it's the... Yeah, Lerner. He's, we'll, we'll come to later on some of the things he's he's actually personally <laughs> responsible for mm-hmm. making this successful. But the the sort of, the songwriting end of things, it it fell mostly to, to Black, obviously, to, mm. to, to uh, his, um, his skill. As you say, the, the sort of haphazardness of the fucking uh, putting a track together. He says, Gil, bored. Like, I mean, it's Gil Norton said he took, uh, they were in LA recording and he took them to Tower Records mm-hmm. and 
Black Francis went out of his way. I'm just going to call him Frank Black from here on in because yeah. Frank Black goes out of his, his way to grab a Buddy Holly record right. and shows him the back of it and goes, look at the length of every song. <laughs> and he says, see the ones that are over two minutes? They're the ones that are literally considered like epics. Yes. To like a blues and rockabilly <laughs> musician. Yeah. He says, so that's what we need. We don't need. And the average song on this album is two minutes, 20 seconds. Yes. there's a, <laughs> they're, It they're, flies through. They're like. punchy. Like, and they're, but there's, here's the thing. There's songs like, like the maybe two, two and a half minutes long, hmm. but it contains so much. Yep. In that short yep. space of time between bass riffs and guitar lines and then some mental vocals. Some of the craziest vocals you'll hear from Frank Black in this is unbelievable. Well, people were listening to some of the singles and going, I wouldn't mind going to see them live. And then there's this boy <laughs> screaming his head off. <laughs> this big, huge guy, like just roaring. Like yeah. in high pitch squeals and, the, and oh, I mean, how they weren't ready for that. Like, uh, well, I mean, I've, I have ventured into trying to sing the other time myself. I do not understand how his throat could went on tour. No, not how the band could go on tour. How his throat could go on tour because and he's the squeals and yeah, it's nonstop. That's like, absolutely when they were recording this, he was preparing <coughs> solo work. So it was Kim Deal, obviously, but he was preparing solo work. So he was recording stuff that he knew is all him, and nobody's gonna second mm-hmm. guess it because he's hiring the band to go out with him. So. I mean, and he, he knows that formula works, so that's what he used with his solo stuff as well. Like. So we have a, a couple of great tracks. We started there with the, uh, probably, I would say out of the singles, it's the lesser known single out of them all, but it's one of maybe, uh, when it comes to Pixies fans, maybe one of the biggest uh, tunes. Did you know it didn't become a single until 1997? Get out. When Death to the Pixies, the compilation came out. They released Debaser as a single. It wasn't a single before that. Eight years later? Yep. Wow, I did not know that. It's fucking nuts. Uh, so yeah, we also so we're going to play a, a bit of uh, wave mutilation here. Yeah, but we got to talk about the baser first. There's it's based on famously the Louis Banwell and Salvador Dali film, right? Okay, um, I know it, it well. It's called <laughs> it's called Onchien <coughs> Andalou. Okay, right. So Frank Black was saying, uh, "I wish Banwell was still alive." He made this film about nothing in particular. The title itself is a nonsense. With my stu- my stupid pseudo scholar, naive enthusiast, avant gardeish amateurish way to watch On Shen Andalou, I thought, yeah, I'll make a song about it. <laughs> so he thinks On Shen Andalou, and then he goes, that doesn't work because that means an Andalusian dog. Right. Yes, I was going to say Shen. So it sounds too French. So I'll sing On Shen Andalusia, and it sounds good, doesn't it? And that's what I'm talking to like a like a journalist, and the journalist going. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> but this is the film where they have the sliced eyeball thing. So that's where the uh, lyric yes, comes okay, from. Yeah. And the point of Bowen Wells' film is where to debase morality and their standards. So that's where debaser comes from. Okay. But he, he watches this film and then he goes, all right, Zambit. And then he's sitting in the studio <laughs> with a man, Norton, and he bangs out this one minute thing and an acoustic guitar and Norton goes, you couldn't just do that one more time and make it two minutes. So <laughs> 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 that's what he does. <laughs> pretty much like... Uh, yeah, and it pays off. It pays off massively. It's one of the best intro songs to any album ever made. Like, well, before we get to the to, we'll, we'll play it maybe now. Then we have, before we go to that, I mean, one of the biggest, I suppose, uh, pats on the back you can get is if one of your songs is covered by David Bowie. Yeah, um, <laughs> David Bowie had a sensational hard on for the Pixies, like, um, and he said some very, very, very and unbelievably positive things about them. But the the biggest thing you could probably take from anything that Bowie would do was when he was doing the Tin Machine thing that was in between albums and he was just going on tour and doing covers and his own songs in different ways 
is when he plays your fucking song lively. Yeah, so this is from, uh, it's a very bad recording, so apologies for the sound, but it's from uh, Wolverhampton in 1991. This is David Bowie doing Debaser. Just fucking trying to copy Frank Flag. I know. Not, plus the poor sound engineer trying to catch up what's going on there because they didn't do any of the parts right. They just battered through the melody. Um, so yeah, so even as early as 91, then you had obviously the likes of Bowie spotting it and realizing this is something special. Bowie said, um, the Pixies make just about the most compelling music of the entire 80s. And I could never get over the fact that the Pixies formed, worked and separated without America ever taking them to its heart or even recognizing their existence. They're like the psychotic Beatles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that leads us on. I mean, when we mentioned them, we may as well mention then yeah. where w- w- the sort of legacy the Pixies had, uh, the Pixies had left behind um, the people that they followed afterwards. So obviously one of the most obvious ones when it comes to Loud Soft, Loud Soft mm. was Nirvana. Yeah. Um, this is the famous quote from Kurt Cobain. Where he was asked, where did you get the inspiration for Smells Like Teen Spirit? Well, we'll, we'll get a wee blast over Let's here. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And it's real heavy yeah. loud and then right down to real soft. Mm-hmm. Just a pure you Pixies equation. Kirk Cobain said, I was trying to write the ultimate pop song. I was basically trying to rip off the Pixies. I have to admit <laughs> it. When I heard the Pixies for the first time, I connected so heavily. I should have been in that band or at least in a Pixies cover band. <laughs> <laughs> we used their sense of dynamics, soft, quiet, and then loud and hard. I never heard anything like it in my life. They're the best band I've ever heard. Well, could you imagine the Pixies tribute band front of a Kirk Cobain? Fucking hell. <laughs> I think he even just wanted to play the guitar in the Pixies be, yeah, tribute band. Play around them. Uh, so, I mean, again, and, and this is sort of uh, Pixies' response to the, the rock metal scene at the time, the big hair. Because even uh, Guns N' Roses was sort of, uh, that was 88, obviously, so you're mm-hmm. into that. There was a new vibe coming through. There oh, was there people definitely breaking was. away from the fucking the there, big hair and the Bon Jovis and all that sort of stuff. There absolutely was. But there still was that... Because I play for destruction, when you think of Sweet Child of Mine and stuff like that, it still became very mainstream. Mm-hmm. But the Pixies Pex- tried to make sure that they weren't. They, 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 they proactively did not yes. want to be in the mainstream. Well, if you look at 1989, what was out then? You're looking at Della Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, Masterpiece. Madonna, Like a Prayer. That's right. It Beastie know. Boys, Paul's Boutique, The mm. Cure, Disintegration, Stone Roses, Stone Roses. You've got Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever, Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hit Machine, Fugazi, Nirvana albums, Bob Dylan albums. It's fucking That's huge. It's quite a big it's year. Chunked, like, yeah, yeah. But what you don't see in the middle of that is metal or hair metal because no. it's starting to die. It is, yeah. And it's starting to die because this music is being played in college radio all the time. The REMs, the Husker Doos, like we spoke about, mm-hmm. they're all over the fucking place. So, and the thing is too that music is like, well, they, they both go hand in hand fashion. The leathers and the you know all the stuff of That's the not, of the rockers and the that metal guys, that that wasn't no. that wasn't gonna last. 
no so the, the the fashion went and then the music sort of followed or the, mu- the music went and the fashion followed whichever one i don't know maybe together at the same time but you definitely seen then that sort of you always talked about Kurt Cobain and the flannel shirts and all mm-hmm. this sort of stuff there was it was the least rock and roll thing you looked like you yeah. looked like a guy who just was rolled out of bed yeah out of university you definitely weren't getting up out of bed in university hungover as fuck and yeah. trying to get into the leather pants like no no not happening well so, well and well, depends the, on the party like. the, the, yeah and the, and the level of time for the perm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so we'll play a bit of uh, so wave of mutilation yeah this is a fucking belter but I have a few good stories with this You said earlier the thing about uh, the thing about their songs is he, if you play a clip, it's nearly half a song done because <laughs> it's That's only it nearly done. Song. It's <laughs> nearly done. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got again that soft singing. I mean, he can do all the ranges. He can do everything mm-hmm. from the high, high level squeals oh, right yeah. down to the soft, the soft uh, vocals. He's exceptional singer, like, and that bass again. Like, I mean, Kim dealing that is no, that's the heart and soul of it. Like, unreal. This song, right. This song um, is based on a character, and it's about him driving into the Marianas Trench to right. drive your car into the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's called Kuroshi. So <laughs> Frank Black was reading an article, um, and I found the article. Right. And it's about this uh, pandemic that was happening in Japan in the mid-80s, where businessmen were just taking their family and committing suicide. Right, okay. <laughs> right, stay with me on this one. The Black Crows came at 3pm, the grandmother remembers, cawing and frightening the children on the day they would be caught up in their parents' misery. It was a dark omen. Four hours later, the six-year-old twins climbed into the back seat of the car with their younger brother. Their parents in the front said they were taking them to see their other grandparents and drove off. But they took a different direction. Down a long empty road, past the city incinerator, past the sign for the Kashimi Antlers soccer team, past the smokestacks, as they came to a bleak industrial pier littered with oil drums, the father stepped on the gas. A fisherman standing 30 feet from the end of the pier saw the car jump a six-inch curb and fly into the water. The car floated for a moment. He saw three children in the back seat clawing at the windows and yelling for help. Then the water closed over. Months later, the local deputy police chief was asked how many murders had occurred recently in this district. He says, I don't recall any. They were considered part of a family suicide. Right. Such family suicides are so common in Japan and many other countries, and their numbers are rising. Perhaps nothing illustrates the difference in the cultures more than the attitude towards it. And this is a bitchy one of fuck. In Japan, to kill your own children out of domestic despair is not considered a crime. It is considered an honourable thing to do. Well, I must remember that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. To be filled with honour. What an honourable thing to be <laughs> Taking somebody's life without them, them thinking they're going to their granny's house. Like, I was reading it going, what the fuck? I'd never heard that before. But only Frank Black could turn around and go, I'm going to write a song. <laughs> I'm going to write a, a one minute song. Yeah. And you're going to have to drag two minutes out of me. The other side is the fucking, this is brilliant. 
In the 1960s, while still a free man, Charles Manson wrote the song Cease to Exist for mm-hmm. the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. He was sort of friends with Dennis Wilson, remember? Yeah, and he was that's right. So they gave Manson some cash and took the song, changed the title to Never Learn Not to Love, tweaked the lyric Cease to Exist to Cease to Resist, mm-hmm. and released it as a B-side to their track, Manson was furious. <laughs> they say that this is what started <laughs> 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 the rampage that unfolded. <laughs> 21 years later, the opening line of Wave of Mutilation is Charles Manson's Cease to Resist, <laughs> taking the piss out of Charles Manson infamously by not even using his Cease to Exist suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a version of Wave of Mutilation called UK Surf, and it's just the song slowed down, but it sounds like a surf song. Yeah, because that's the thing. The, the, the guitar playing on it, I mean, you mentioned earlier on about the surf thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how else to, to describe surf guitar playing, but it's you know it's just it's that it is that Beach Boys yeah, vibe. Yeah. But you find that lingering through the middle of some of the heaviest tunes. I, on this. It's, so it's, it's very very strange because um, I had never really considered it until I started. Well, somebody said to me about um, Santiago, and they were like, "It wasn't much of a, of a guitar player," and I was like, "He didn't have to be." No, the bits he did were so effective. And the way he's described in the biography, actually, it's a review of the album from 30 years. There was a 30-year anniversary, obviously, in mm-hmm. 2018. And the guy said, Joey Santiago, his sonic plow was the key element in the Pixies' monstrous presence. Ooh, monstrous presence. I like that. I, I thought that worked. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't have to be. It wasn't like his visceral guitar technology. No, it's just like it's, everything he did was exactly yeah. what he was meant to what do. What he needed to be, yeah, yeah. and there was no more, no less. They had, uh, I mean, it's, I, I've heard this album being described as an oddball masterpiece. Uh, Mark <laughs> Beaumont and Independent said, Do Little was no mere indie rock breakthrough record. It was a seed from which decades of febrile rock brilliance would sprout. Ooh, he said a lot better than I did. Uh, (laughs) Luckily I wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, but to be called an oddball masterpiece, mainly because they couldn't fit them into a genre to know where they they slotted into, but then they come up with a song that is... uh, Actually, it turns out to be a song that he wrote as a teenager. He's 14. 14, he wrote this song. Yeah. Which is fucking mind blowing in itself. Yeah. But at fourteen, he wrote a song, and Frank Black was not happy with it. Did not want to do it. No. Did not want it to be on the album until Gil Norton. Yeah. Made the band record the backing track. Well, without Black being there. Yeah, and they they originally recorded it uh, for Come On Program, and he scrapped it. And then they wrote it again for Surfer Rosa, and he scrapped it. And then Norton heard a version of it and said. Yeah, there's what do we do here? There, yeah. Joey Santiago says we'll just speed it up a bit and add to it, and Frank Black was fucking raging. Yeah, so they, they had done it behind his back <laughs> to, to get your one of your biggest hits. I know, but the, he wrote the song, <laughs> wrote and they're the going, song. "This is good. Let's push it." And he was like, <laughs> "Nah." He actually it said was mainly his quote was, "It's too poppy and too wimpy." Yeah, I was going to say that they, they, he wanted to avoid the pop element as much, but a good producer will know a song that's going to catch on and a song like that I mean as it stood the test of time uh, here we're going to play a clip of it here now actually and this this song actually it got to number three in the billboard charts at the time so it was very mainstream mm-hmm. um, and if anything was probably maybe their biggest success at the time Joe Nolan from Spin Magazine said it's the most successful song by an underground band ever yeah because that's the thing about it that, but to be that underground but it was kind of like R.E.M. at the time yeah. who were kind of that underground thing and wanted to do something different all the time so mm-hmm. 
uh, Losing My Religion is a great example where they were like, well, we're just going to play a song now that has a mantle in it and we don't care and yeah. there's no chorus. But like this but song... Think it became the biggest song they ever did. You know, it was but like... like this song on this album, Losing My Religion doesn't fit on that album. It stands out. Yeah. You go, a, yeah, what? That's weird. What's yeah, that? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> like he's in the middle of pure Catholic church <laughs> yeah. and then Losing My Religion, you're going, he's still talking about Catholic church but it doesn't sound like it. Well, here is a, a very recent one, actually. This is only two years ago, three years ago. Uh, so this is uh, Pixies Live in the six, uh, BBC Six Music uh-huh. doing uh, this, this absolute belter. Did he? I mean, you've got obviously you're talking uh, 30 years on. That was obviously for the 30th anniversary, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, drop down a key or two, obviously. Drop down a key. <laughs> Age will do that to the voice, and maybe even slow a wee bit there from the original. Uh, but yeah, still sounding absolutely fantastic. And he, like I said, there that guitar, you can hear it just oh wow. like absolutely industrious, like constantly just constant the mm-hmm. whole way through. Um, and again, the voice is holding up. Frank Black's voice. No, definitely. Really no, I haven't. I haven't heard him do debaser uh, 30 years on, but. I think they still do the full range. And they do a lot, obviously, from the newer albums, which I'm not re- really au fait on, so I'm not going to say yeah. good or bad. But they say that he wrote he wrote it when he was 14. So when they do the solid maths, it meant from when he was 14 to when this was actually recorded, when Doolittle was recorded, it took him a decade to, in order to get his head around that he actually was able to right. perform <laughs> it and record it and do it. But they never played it live until 2004. Right, because okay. again, he just thought it didn't fit. Didn't want it, yeah. No. But I, it's actually I, I, not a love song, you know. Right, it's about like fucking. It's about winos and hobos traveling <laughs> to the tr- on the trains to die in California earthquakes. That's what it's about. <laughs> of course, it is. Of course, it's about <laughs> fucking winos. No, I mean, uh, you're sitting listening, going, "Of course, that's a love song." Here comes your man. Of course, and it's a lovely wee melody. It's and a nice wee ditty. You get your man to dance to. It's about no. boys. No. Traveling to commit Harry Carey on a train in an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another, I mean, we're, we're going to go through. We don't go through all the tracks as we know. No, 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 no. Um, so we, we, there's a couple of standout ones that uh, still to come, obviously. But uh, I mean, uh, the, the the time and then of of sort of talk about the the, the fighting or the infighting, mm. because there has been a few then reincarnations, as in reunions and trying to get back together. Because I remember the. Pixies played Ulster Hall recently, mm-hmm. and maybe before, maybe it was at 2019, 30th, and like Could very well the be. tickets just went instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I mean, give us, do you know much about that sort of, the, I know you'd mentioned Kim Deal earlier on and the sort of songwriting thing. Well, there's a, a really good documentary called Loud, Quiet, Loud, where it's following their first reunion. 
mm-hmm. since 92, 93. Basically what happened in 92, 93 was after this tour that went to fuck all together mm-hmm. and they were just fighting all the time, uh, they said we're taking a break because they had recorded between 87 and 91, four albums and an EP. Wow. So that's, that's five years. Very prolific, isn't it? And their first EP actually had 17 songs recorded for it and they ended up only putting eight out. To put eight on an EP? They put eight on an EP. I mean, an EP is normally max five. I know, like, that's, that's your... Yeah. So, so eight remember, be an album. <laughs> remember their one to two minute songs? Like? Well, that's true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but what happened was, they officially split in 93, and how the band found out was that Frank Black was doing an interview for BBC Radio 5, or Radio 6, and he um, accidentally said on the radio that Pixies don't exist anymore. But the Pixies didn't know. Oh, so mm, apparently he nice had to told Joe Santiago uh, because they were friends from college and they were the reason the band got together. Mm-hmm. Though the history of the band is this, very simply. Frank Black went to university in Boston, dropped out, went to Puerto Rico and was working there. Wrote a few songs in this album, but the, he was living with a person with severe mental health issues. And he wrote, um, what do you call it? La La Love You. Mm-hmm. was yep. about, Or Crackety Jones, sorry. Crackety Jones okay. is about this guy he was living with. So he came back, Joey Santiago, and went, right. We're forming a fucking band. This is it. And this was 86. Mm-hmm. So they put a flyer up on the street in Boston and it just had, if you're into Husker Du and Peter Ball and Mary, pop, take that this flyer, do, yeah. give us a call. Only one person got back and it was Kim Deal. What a response. Who never played the bass. What? She's a avant-garde fucking musical genius. Uh-huh. She never played the bass before. So she right. just figured out how to play okay, the bass. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, her husband, at their wedding, Kim had met... Dave Lovering, the drummer, and he was introduced as, oh, this is Dave, he plays the drums, but he wasn't in a band. Mm-hmm. And Frank Black and Joey Sandero were like, do you know a drummer? And she went, aye. <laughs> and that was it. Oh, so <laughs> that's geez, it. Four people. Simple as that, isn't it? Easy peasy. Wow. So, uh, but I mean, you can't really get a better four piece. Dave Lovering's a bit strange. Right, I don't know much about him, to be honest with you. Dave Lovering, um, <clears throat> oh, those are going to be good. I just know when they're facing you. Dave Lovering, when he is not playing the Boom Booms, yes. uh, describes himself as a scientific phenomenalist. Of course he is. He's a magician. Of course he is. He, um, during the documentary, Loud Quite Loud, mm-hmm. you can tell he's getting a bit irate a wee bit more. Kim Deal has asked because she's been sober for a few years. Her and her twin sister decided to take a break from things mm-hmm. when they were doing the breeders. And the two girls sobered up and got themselves right. So she asked backstage, and when they're together, can there be no alcohol? And, you know, mm-hmm. and she was like, I'm being totally selfish, but it's just for my head. And everybody agreed. So Dave decided to just keep taking loads of Valium. <laughs> <laughs> and like all these other. And, and so he's clearly wired a few times in the documentary. Mm-hmm. But the most infamous part, if you can find it in YouTube, please. The whole thing's in YouTube, sorry, but this clip alone, they're playing. <laughs> Dave's decided to play on. <laughs> <laughs> the Valium will do that. He uh, he just, the song's over, like a minute and a half, two minutes, and they have to keep playing. And you can see Frank Black turn around going, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, what are we doing? And he keeps turning around to Kim Dale and Joey, and he's going, what's going on? What's go-? And they're trying to be like, listen, just, just play it cool. Like, but then they have to leave the stage and go talk to Dave. Because... <laughs> Because Dave's had a meltdown. Yeah. On stage. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, and I think this was part of the their massive three nights in a row in Brixton Academy. Right, sold okay. out. 
This was early 2000s, the first time they got back together uh-huh. again. So everybody's really excited to see the Pixies. And they sound amazing. Like, So, um, yeah, Dave put a fucking spanner in the works for a wee minute there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see them drummers? You know the problem. You know the drummers. They're <laughs> because, all mental. Every drummer I know, there's something wrong with them. Well, <laughs> I just went through like a wee fucking rotary list in my head there of every drummer I know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's a true story. That's true. Uh, so there's a song, uh, Hey, is a, 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 another absolute blinder on this. We'll give a wee listen to it here now. Sonically, you mm-hmm. know, the guitar and you know, it's just again, it's a big. Now, this is an opus. This is a mass. This is a, like a lengthy. This is a their Bohemian Rhapsody because yes. it comes in at three minutes thirty. That's, <laughs> fuck man, what a Hollywood get nine songs out of that. But that, uh, that's that's what I was going to say to you actually because this album is considered way more accessible than Surfer Rosa. Yeah, yeah. Steve Albini produced Surfer Rosa. That's the reason that Kirk Cobain got Steve Albini to produce Anudero. Oh, okay, because, because right Surfer Rose, right, like yeah, yeah. he he thinks Surfer Rose is the best album ever made. Yeah, but the the way that it's real difficult to try to to describe how Surfer Rose sounds and how this sounds when they weren't intentionally trying to be poppy, yes, or fuller. But uh-huh. he still seen that there was elements of their songs that had such pop melodics to it that he had to push it in that direction. Yeah, yeah. But how you got to tiptoe past them without? Major, yeah, major, yeah, uh, but it, it is, and it's the thing back to we keep mentioning Cobain, but it's obviously the most, it's been the biggest influence in that sense. But uh, everything about Nirvana was the same is that it's as much as you can, you can make as much noise as you wanted, but the melodies are there, mm-hmm. even in the mix hook, of like. Territorial Pistons, was real, there's still a melody, you, which is to mad something. to sing along. Um, and like uh, that came from here, that came from Doolittle. Oh, absolutely. And let's not get it. I'll keep saying this stuff about Kirk Cobain because the reason the Pixies are on tour now and did a reunion is because Kirk Cobain turned around and said, I wrote Smells Like Teen Spirit because I wanted to sound Yeah, Pixies. so there's new, there's new audiences finding Pixies Straight now. away. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, instantly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm hoping they'll come back here so I know we'll get on the ball for tickets. But uh, so, I mean, you've got then another... Uh, Another an absolute massive song um, yep. at, the, at, the, at the time and since and has gone sort of been in the... I mean, if you're looking at uh, Rolling Stone's top 100 indie songs, it's in there in the top 20. Oh, it's going to be always there. So this is uh, this is Monkey Gone to Heaven. Uh, again, it's hard to... If anybody, any of, any of you young listeners out there, uh, try to remember a thing called <laughs> MTV. <laughs> what? It's a, yeah. The show where they play reality shows on? Yeah, reality shows, yeah. So MTV, but it was a big deal for Pixies then to get on MTV, mm-hmm. and that happened with Here Comes Your Man. Yep. But obviously Monkey Gone to Heaven was another big one that... that it's fair to say Monkey Gone to Heaven was like the the underground's favourite. 
Yeah, I think it was the one that you know, took it, off it, first. It was the most popular for the underground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Here Comes Your Man was under, was just pop in general. Yeah. But uh, again, another absolute belter of a tune that's, that has stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. You play it today. It, it, oh, it, it could have been recorded yesterday. So, like Frank Black said in Esquire in 2014, I'm less concerned with making sense than making the lyrics pop out of the speaker. If man is five, the devil is six, then God is seven. Guess what? That rhymes with this monkey's gone to heaven. (laughs) Just saying, it didn't fucking make any sense. It didn't have to. And he says that a lot about lyrics in this, but a lot of people overanalyze his lyrics because a lot of it's about fucking religion. Like, yeah, he, he this, was this brought was up a big in this religious thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he was brought up in this Pentecostal sort of church with mm-hmm. his stepfather and his mother. He actually was. This was going to be called Whore. The album was called Whore. Right, okay. And then. But, or but, as Tyrone would say, Her. And then. <laughs> fuck, I was in harmony. You see, uh, <laughs> but because the cover, the boy that the cover design had a halo over the monkey, mm-hmm. he was like. I didn't want it to stir up any anti-Catholic stuff right. because it would just be propaganda and they'd be like, that's naughty Catholic thoughts. And he says, but it's not. <laughs> I, it never linked. The two. The, no. the, the designer of the album just went ahead and did that cover. He, I didn't ask him to do that. So, but his, his upbringing, he had like a proper Pentecostal, like singing Bible songs up yeah, until he was like 15. Yeah, yeah. That piano, like him learning... Here comes your man at fourteen, or mm-hmm. writing it. Sorry, was at a fucking piano in a right. Okay, right. Did you know he was lifted in Dublin? No, he was. <laughs> he fucking February two thousand eight. Uh, Frank Black was taken away by the Irish police in Dublin, Ireland, after staging an impromptu pre-core acoustic solo gig at St Stephen's Green. He was later released and performed that night in Vicker Street as planned. <laughs> <laughs> so he just landed down and the guitar started playing. And there's loads of Pixies fans around the fucking city. Of course, they were like, was I. Uh, is that Frank Black? Is that that? <laughs> is that Charles Thompson the fourth? <laughs> Charlie, Charlie Thompson, Charlie, play the Monka song. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so I mean, they do have a, a diehard following here in Ireland as well, North and South. I massive, mean, it's, yeah, it's massive. Thing, but yeah. I think it was even before Nirvana, they were really big here. Like, like yeah, people really, really love their. Them, yeah, yeah, they really caught on to what they were doing and and their sound because it is a. It's a unique sound because again, I keep saying they didn't fit into a genre, but it's like a, and many have tried to replicate it. And no matter, no matter what, you can hear a band. You go, oh, that's, that's Pixies. Yeah. In, no matter if it's a new band from yes, like their sound is so you know when somebody's trying to copy them. Mm-hmm. Now you could listen to loads of other bands. And you're like, oh well, that's just a generic thing. But this is so specific. Mm-hmm. And I think like the bass is such a massive part of this massive. whole album. Like it's massive. Some of the bass lines and the riffs in this are just fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, well, it makes more sense now when you say sort of avant-garde musician because 
some of the notes that she's hitting on that bass shouldn't be played there, no. but they are. Like, and, and the, the incredible part being that the, the, the girl had never, ever played the bass and then landed in confidently as the only female in the band at a young age and just battered through the fucking place to the point now where people think of, you know, like the, the cult of female rock star. Like, yeah. And she was the bass player and barely... Barely, barely got any of her songs on any I mean, of the that's, fucking... I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what you're up against when you've got so many. But it's incredible. Know, incredible stuff. You because can't the breeder stuff, like that breeder song, Cannonball. Yes. Why? The breeder song, Cannonball. I remember just watching it going, why is there two Cam Deals? And you're like, <laughs> no, no, it's Cam and her twin sister. And you're like, what? And then reading the... Because t- I thought she was a lesbian for years. Right? I, I, I don't, I don't I know why know I thought that. Yeah. But the thing was, in the documentary... It's just people trying to talk to Kim. Right. Like all the guys are backstage and all, and there's people just walking up to Kim and going, you're amazing, you changed my life. And, and all this, and like the points are raging, like, <laughs> because she's only just turned back up again. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we'll, we'll take a wee lesson. Actually, we'll talk about one, the legacy. This is uh, The Breeders with Cannonball. I fucking love by the way Mighty June Wild June Bass again Oh unreal Frank Black singing Frank Black singing that uh-huh. melody like. What? But he just wouldn't let it? No. That's mad like, like to turn it out to turn down the quality of that. And the harmonies of her sister too are oh, fucking incredible. What could have been? Oh, uh, uh, but that's but this is your thing. So in Surfer Roses, she wrote Gigantic, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite songs in the album. And then she's like, "Okay, I've got I've got in here because he, yeah. he did his seventeen track EP <laughs> fucking demo stuff, and now I'm allowed in. Yeah. So I've got one in. So she goes to the fucking recording. <laughs> oh, I say, right, I've got some ideas. And Frank's like, "How long are we met? What's your first song?" She goes, "Silver." Right. He goes, "Right, we'll do that." No more. Oh, that was it. That was it. She so got to write one whatever song. happened to be the first one she mentioned. Just one song. And so in fact, I think he sort of co-wrote it. He co-wrote it with her, like. This could but she was writing option. this shit. Right. Okay. While. Oh man. Oh man, and their egos. Eh? But this is the thing. <laughs> but then again, would he would he be as good if he didn't have the ego? You know. It's, no, it's, and that's my, that's the other side of it. I don't think I would change this album, but no. Tim Dale wasn't a songwriter. She was a musician who just knew how to play instruments. She was just a genius, like, mm-hmm. and such a presence and such, like, so influential to females in music and, like, yeah, incredible in every way. Yeah. So. Because there was nothing tokenistic about her. No. 
She, she wasn't give there a fuck. To, to look good. Didn't give a Because fuck. the skill, like that album, it's the base and stand. No, I'm not saying it's a standout as the best, but it's uh, it's such a foundation to that whole entire Absolutely. album. It's and as phenomenal. I read, I didn't write it down, but as I read, a critic said, Frank Black's wheel is as important to the breeders as her harmonies to his wheels. Yeah, absolutely. So you're like, that that sort of crashing between the two is fucking the yeah. sounds. And in live, it's just as good. But if you could think, and it's no way is this being misogynistic, she, she learned how to write songs by watching him write by songs. Watching the, yeah, yeah. So her, so, of course the songs are going to sound similar, yeah. but they're as good, mm-hmm. which never happens. It's usually a usually fucking, a, 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 yeah, a watered a down rip off yeah, of, yeah. you know, but it sounds amazing. Well, absolutely. There's no, there's no denying it. And I mean, I'm glad to see that they have made that reunion and uh, the 30 year anniversary sort of uh, brought them back again for another tour. So hopefully that keeps them. On well, the, Kim Dean's on the out again. She's she, she, she gone again. No, is she? she, she, but uh, totally, total. Like the, the, there was no, uh, it was no acrimony. No, right. it was straight down the middle. Mutual. Um, they, she was like, I just can't do the turn thing as much anymore. And they all went, no problem. But okay. all they've done since is get per derivatives of Kim Dale. Right, who okay. all worship Kim Dale. Right, yes. And, exactly. and say, every time they're interviewed, uh-huh. every person that has filled her role has said, I'm only standing here because I want to play the bass lines that Kim Dale plays in this band. Yes. I wouldn't do it in any other band. Because as a like if, as a bass player, male or female. Amazing. They are the lines you want to play. They're the oh, riffs you right. want to be playing. Like, they're fucking unbelievable. So, oh, fuck yes. Uh, it's great to hear that, they're, well, great to hear they can get a replacement if, if it's possible. But, uh, yes, as always, we say to you, go back and have a wee listen, put it on. It's not going to be too long. <laughs> Be, it's not it's 37 if, uh, minutes yeah, or something 38 again that one independent article I have to end on that one Mark Beaumont said this album is as dark as the Pixies would ever get and set the definitive tone and aesthetic it's the best Beast Boys album ever made losing its mind after months wrapped in a psychopath's well <laughs> 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 which is fucking well listen the only way to finish it off is to be uh, as debased as possible That's so, it. Yeah. thank you very much for listening everybody we will be back very soon um, hopefully with a few guests coming up And uh, um, but as always please go back and listen give us a wee review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify now have a a, a rating a rating thing uh, which th- which people were doing and I didn't know because it doesn't notify us yeah I didn't know that, but so I mean I think only number five works I know only number five yeah, works because I've hit it like 48 times. <laughs> but then, then they say it only registers the first one. So I think I hit one for the crack. <laughs> but I didn't. No. Um, so, yeah. yes, go and give us a, uh, a, some review. Spread the word and uh, tag us or whatever and all the usual loud crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you very much for listening. And we're going to go out with a wee bit of debaser. Go for it.